0: Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Barnard. And I'm Victor Gamov. In this series, we chat with software developers and technology leaders to tackle your biggest API connectivity challenges. Stay tuned to this episode for tools, tactics, strategies that will help you to take your distributed architectures to the next level. Let's begin. I'm super excited to have Matty Stratton as my guest at the Concast. He is a staff developer advocate at Pulumi and we will talk a lot today about cloud engineering. Matty, welcome to Concast.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here on the Concast.
0: Yes, uh, it's been a while since we uh, wanted to bring you in and it's finally happened and I am extremely excited to uh, to talk to you today about this stuff. I am a huge fan of the stuff that you guys do in endopulumi and how you can use like a normal, normal programming languages to uh, do infrastructure as a code where is code is actual code, not some bunch of YAML and stuff. So um, before we jump to this one, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Absolutely. So without going through like a whole bio, but just sort of the interesting parts. So uh, I spent uh, about two decades working uh, in traditional technology operations. I was a sysadmin. And I I live here in Chicago. So I worked for a lot of financial institutions and insurance companies, because that's usually where you work in Chicago if you work in tech. And kind of along the way, um, I got got interested in this uh, DevOps stuff about, uh, I, I, would, I would guess it was probably about eight or nine years ago and um, got really interested in how we could automate things. So like I was always been about automation. And so I was writing a lot of like VB scripts and a lot of bash scripts and a lot of this stuff. And then I got, I uh, learned about this thing called Puppet and started using Puppet for some things. And we kind of switched over to using Chef. And There's a long roundabout way to say like, I've been involved in DevOps for quite some time, and I went from being a member of the Chef community to working at Chef. And Chef is an infrastructure's code tool where you write your code, your infra code in Ruby. Kind of stepped away from that for a little bit. And then I came back to join Pulumi. And so infrastructure as code is, is really interesting to me. And I think there's a lot of power to it. And I like to see how things have continued to evolve. But at the end of the day, like to me, it's like I've been the person that this was crappy Right, like doing this work was not great, and so I'm excited that this this really changes how people work. And uh, I used to say, uh, you know, back when I was at Chef, I'd say I worked at Chef because I believe in Chef. It's not the other way around, and I think that's still true for what I do right now today.
0: So um, you said like you're working with Chef and Ruby, like but you start this uh, the journey as to solve your problems, you know, your own problems as a, as a many system administrators they're trying to. Make their life easier, and after that, uh, you realize that you can actually make life other people um, (laughs) easier to do the things. What are the challenges you saw with uh, tools like Puppet and uh, with tools like Pulumi? And uh, you said like you believe in in tools first, and after not uh, kind of like a you believed in the tools before you joined the company, right? Yeah. (laughs) How. (laughs) What, what, how would it help you like you probably went through this kind of like a curve of learning the multiple different tools and how you end up in in, in in this in this particular case like why why chef and why Pulumi?
1: I mean well, I'll put it to you this way, right and yeah, I'm wearing my palumi shirt right now, but still I used to say when I was a chef and people would say, should I use chef or puppet and I would say yes. Right, like others, so do something, and and I'm a big believer in that. Our, the biggest competitor that we might have in this space is not another vendor; it's Do Nothing Incorporated. Right, it's it's still doing things by hand. So I'm not trying to to sell you Palumi as being the be all and end all that might be the thing for you. Uh, I happen to think it's a really good way to to solve this problem. Now the the problems that we have, right, is is it's a matter uh, going back to if we think about where this started, and I think it's always important to know how do we get to where we are. Right, so some of those problems might not exist as much today for everybody, but when you're talking about scale, right, we just can't do this stuff by hand. And if we're writing our configuration and then applying that configuration, rather than being able to reason about it, because the thing is, things do change, right? We might have different configurations in a pre-production environment than we do in production, and we want to be able to be repeatable. And you know, people who talk about automation like to say we do this because we're lazy, and that. It's true, I don't like to do the same thing over and over again unless it's fun. And most of this is not fun, but creating the implementation of it might be fun. So for example, if I wanna be able to iterate over things, right, where I'm saying like, okay, I need to go create a whole bunch of these things uh, and maybe there's dependencies on them, right? Like I need to create a VPC that my cluster is gonna live in and I wanna be able to do that and then be able to reference that I created it in the implementation that happens later, right? Rather than sort of having to to go and create them piecemeal. And that's where when we start to think about why we need to use a programming language, because our infrastructure is code, it is software, it's components, it's pieces that have dependencies on each other. And one of the things that I think has been interesting in the years of you know, going all the way back with CF Engine, and we're always building on the shoulders of giants. We keep talking about infrastructure as code, but really what we've been doing is maybe building our infrastructure using some code, but we don't think about our infrastructure as reusable components that are abstractions that we can treat them, treat the infrastructure like software, which is what I think is the exciting thing that we're moving towards today. I mean, the thing that gets you your job done is the right thing for you. And the decision you made was the right
0: decision to make at the
1: time. So, but things are continually evolving.
0: I would like you to a little bit elaborate on one point. So since you mentioned, uh, you started your life as a, like a system administrator and historically, culturally system administrators and uh, developers, they are different breeds. Like, you know, you write software, not because you like write software as a developer, but because you have to automate your tasks because you're lazy. And now we came in, into the world where you kind of, as a system administrator, you have to program stuff. And we have to, we, you know, a lot of tools are pushing all this um, uh, site reliability engineers. I don't want to say dev- DevOps engineer, because it's going to be fun. Uh, everybody understands <laughs> that. Um, and like, how we end up here, right? So, like, why to make people who generally don't like code—you know—they like the console, they'll do uh, like to do infrastructure and, and and stuff. Like, why force them to to do this programming?
1: You you couldn't have teed me up better, right? Like, <laughs> this is the point. I mean, so I've been saying this for a long time, and to to my to my friends in the sysadmin world and everything, and I especially would start to bring in chef and bring in these tools and like. And again, that's the concern. They're like. I'm not, a, I'm not a coder. I'm not a software engineer. Why are you gonna make me code? I'm like, I got great news for you, sysadmin pals. You already do this. We just use different words for it. It's super true. Like we don't talk about programming, but we talk about scripting. And as much as you might like being in the console and stuff, we all write scripts all the time and we do it for lots of ways. That's coding. I got news for you. Bash, that's code, man. And you're doing it. So cool. And we don't call them code reviews. We call them, but you do that maybe through change control. Like we do these processes. We don't call it debugging. We call it troubleshooting. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. You already know how to do this. And not only do you know how to do it, you do it. And it's part of what you love about your job. We just called it something different. Um, that's Yes, that's there's still more to point. learn, but conceptually, you're already doing it, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's it's a great point. Like, I actually came into doing like a programming through, you know, stuff like uh, writing shell scripts to to automate some of the work. And for some reasons, even though I was using real programming language, I was using Perl at that time to write some sort of kind of like a log parsing cron job that will, you know, collect the logs from the different computers. And after that, just like a slice and dice and by time so we can go and look what happened in particular, you know, in particular, you know, day or hour. And uh, it's actually, you know, I, I use my like a programmer skills to there because I'm, I want to use the programming language. I want to use like modular structure. I want to uh, apply some of the concept that I learned from the object oriented uh, uh, programming language at that time. So which brings us to the, to the point or that I wanted to discuss about like how the things are changed. From the time when we just started, you mentioned like people starting with Bash scripts and uh, Make files, and now we are introducing or some of the concepts th- that were introduced in the programming language, like a modules, a code reviews, unit tests, are actually like uh, the penetrate into the world of like infrastructure management. So you you've been in this uh, in this world for a while. So how you see this transition, and how the people, you know, accepting this. I will tell you that I think the biggest
1: pushback for any change is rarely having to do with it even being a new skill, because people do like to learn new skills. I'm not saying everybody wants to learn something new and have to learn something new every week when your job is continually changing. But it is so much of change comes back to a sunk cost fallacy, right? Which is the, and and it's interesting because I see this a lot with Terraform, and Terraform is great. Terraform does wonderful things. you can be an organization that has a large investment in Terraform. And this could be true of any tool that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. you might be all excited about a new thing, but you're like, oh my God, do you know how much work to get to that? And it's it's funny because whatever was the, the thing that is almost oh, too much work to move off of today was the thing that people didn't want to move to six years ago because it was too much work to move off the other thing, right? Right. So I'm exactly. not saying you should throw things away, but there's There is—it's a real thing, and especially the larger the organization. And this goes back to like, don't change, never change for the sake of changing, right? Like we we want to do that, and as engineers, we like new things that are fun, and it's always fun to do learn new things and continually like refactor and polish the thing because your 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 legacy code was the new hotness five years ago, exactly. Like (laughs) you know, so keep that in mind. It's hard to remember, but. Always, what does a new thing do that you can't do now? So back again, to put in the concept of like with Chef, I would go work with organizations. A lot of times, maybe they were using System Center, like in a Microsoft shop. They're trying to make SCCM, which was fundamentally a thing for configuring desktops to configure their data center. And maybe they already had an investment in it. And then they wanted to move to Chef. But what's common to do is take all the things your old tool did and re-express that with the new tool. So you're gonna spend a whole lot of time doing that, And at the end of the day, nothing actually changed. So I always sat there and said, what's the gap, right? What's the thing you can't do with Config Man right now that you can do with Chef? Do that part first. So at least while you're doing the work, you're getting some new value. So uh, this is, tech is easy. People are hard. The hard stuff of all of this is around how do we change organizationally? How does my day-to-day change? How does my communication change with this? So if you're gonna do all that work, you should be getting something out of it other than you're paying somebody different now than you were yesterday, right? You know, if, if at the end of the day, you move to this new platform and you're doing all the exact same things you used to do, but yes, now it's someone exactly. else, what that's did what you I, get out of it? That's yeah. That's
0: what I saw like multiple times, people, um, just like uh, using like a new tool because somehow it's a new shiny things, but they keep repeating the same pattern. And in uh, this new tool, it might be not uh, so idiomatic or, um, y- using this type of like approach that you did like five years ago with this tool might not be, you know, feasible or not possible. So that's why people also might turn, uh, turn off and say, no, it's kind of not for me, uh, because they approaching this new tool from experience that they have previously and they want to translate their skills that they Mm -hmm. have previously uh, to something they understand yes
1: this is also a fun thing that this reminded me of a little bit that i used to see i I feel a little more comfortable telling the story with like chef and puppet and stuff where it was because i'm not there anymore and and where those come in but i still think it's true across the board but I, I can't tell you like how many – I would go to a meetup or something and someone would be giving a talk about like we, we took – we threw out all of our Chef code and replaced it with Ansible and it was so much better. Or they would do the same thing. We threw out all of our Puppet code and replaced it with Chef and it was so much better. And it was always about, well, because obviously the tool is so much better. And it's like, no, you're smarter. Because when you took your existing implementation and you redid it, you did it with more wisdom that you didn't have the first time. Like the first time. Exactly. Like So your first time, it has nothing to do with the tool. It's like, okay, I did this first in this tool and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So we tried. Then I came back to it three years later with another tool, which meant I had to rethink everything with all the things I knew. And now, of course, it's better, but it's not 100% because the tool was better. You're better. You're smarter now. Um, But it's also kind of hard to, it's a lot easier to sell a migration project to migrate from this thing to this than to do a, let's take the next year and we're just going to refactor all of our stuff. (laughs) <laughs> Good luck if you can sell that, but you should. But so, so that's a much harder sell.
0: You you mentioned you keep mentioning some of the like uh um uh, the the words or vocabulary that very familiar the many developers very familiar. And uh developers also like to call themselves like software engineers now. And I'm trying to brings us to the topic of the cloud engineering and what sure. does it mean in general? Like is it is it something that when you um uh writing your yaml uh files and uh, send them to your kubernetes cluster it doesn't make you a cloud engineer.
1: I so when i think about cloud engineering is it's it's really a discipline that is encompassing what we what we how we build how we deploy and how we manage these platforms and applications and services. So it encompasses people who are writing the application code, it encompasses your operational folks, your SREs, it encompasses your InfoSec and your compliance and your security folks. And the idea is that we have one way to do it. And it's not one way for the entire industry. It means it's one way within your group, right? Whether you're building, deploying and managing, because the more that we get ourselves to a common vocabulary, that's what breeds empathy and empathy is the core of this. And if a lot of this sounds like DevOps, it's because I think it is at least what DevOps was supposed to be. Somewhere along the way, DevOps became automation tools, right? And, and writing automation. And that's just part of it. But really, it's about taking these principles, like what can all these different groups learn from each other and then come together in a cross-functional way? That's the core of it to me. Uh, and the cloud makes this a little bit easier because everything's really API driven and, and exposed. And you know what I mean? We're not You're not shoving it as hard as we had to maybe before.
0: At some point, explaining DevOps as a cultural trait and how you communicate between people, and very quickly we start talking uh, DevOps as a a tooling. And I think the the point you made a little bit early in terms of tech is easy, people are hard, and allows us to steer from the actual problems that DevOps uh, trying to. Solve as a you know culture aspect to how to communicate between teams, how to establish this communication, how to properly plan and share the work and plan work. Um, that's brought us to uh, to the point where like uh, uh, when you are asking for someone and, and someone will tell you, uh, yeah, DevOps, we're doing DevOps tools. Like, but what you're doing is actually you know doing some automation tools or it. like a provisioning tools or some some other things, right?
1: Tools influence culture. Culture influences tools, right? So that's the thing I want to make. I think sometimes people feel like when, when you know, rant about things like this, I'm like anti-tool or anti-automation. I'm like, no, it feels like we overcorrect on culture and communication and human factors because those are the things that we have to tell you to do. Because playing with tools, will do that automatically. Like we'd like to do that, right? You don't have to tell a bunch of engineers to like want to automate. We all want to do that. And it reinforces that. But Mm -hmm. it's really easy for the gravity of that to sort of become the default, like we gravitate to that. So we have to push harder against to get sort of escape velocity from tool tool pull to culture pull, which is why we talk about it a lot. But it kind of happened. I like to say you can't buy DevOps, but I can sell it to you. right? (laughs) (laughs) And DevOps (laughs) is being sold to you folks, so. So yeah, let's call it yeah. something else. That'll help. That's my theory. We'll just rebrand, we're good. It's cloud engineering. Um, cloud engineering, is where, is I like it. We're at. I,
0: yeah. like, I like I it how it sounds. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, the value prop of the tools and how uh, how it changes and why we still even uh, like uh, five, six years into this uh, DevOps uh, evolution, revolution. I would say it's revolution because it changes the minds of people. Um, significantly and uh, how this value prop changed over the time, like starting from the simple automation things into the point where we can have like real programming languages or real SDKs that will, you know, do whatever.
1: I think cloud first really helps drive that, right? So if we even want to think about it a little bit, you know, if we go back to pre-cloud, you know, or even if it's cloud, but, you know, more IAC, you know, VM, stuff like that, where you're, you're talking at an operating system level um, from an operation standpoint, having a common language, if you will, not, not program, but just like lingo or, or frame of reference between software engineering and operations is you're, is you're forcing that because you literally are thinking about the world differently. I found this really interesting about, um, why a lot of early automation tools were a lot better on, say, uh, Linux than on Windows. And uh, Jeffrey Stover, who's a distinguished engineer at uh, Microsoft, he's doing a bunch of great, so he invented PowerShell, all this, on, on this stuff. He said something many, many years ago where he said, part of the reason is that uh, Linux thinks about the operating, everything is a document, right? Whereas in mm-hmm. uh, Windows, and again, I understand I'm putting myself back, everything's changed a lot. But at the time, everything was an API, so if you had mm-hmm. tools like Chef or Puppet that wanted to reason about files, they were really hard to because that's not how the operating system worked. So that thing being said, if we think about the cloud and and Kubernetes, you know, whatever the modern cloud is, Kubernetes, you know, containers, all the things, cloud resources, they're all APIs, which means we reason about this infrastructure in a lot of ways that's very similar to how we build services that our applications run on. So it's a lot easier Uh, I'll give a really interesting example is back in the Chef days, my customers would always ask me, they say, how come I can't just point Chef at my Apache server and have it spit out a cookbook to build that? And I was like, because on that Linux operating system and Apache, there are hundreds of thousands of possible things. And Chef has no idea which of those you care about, what's relevant, what's just sort of there, blah, blah, blah. You know what you can do with like Pulumi, for example, you can absolutely point it at your AWS infrastructure and have it spit out Pulumi code to make that because it's a defined API, that the settings are understood what they are. That's just the world of cloud. That's API first versus document first. It lets us reason about things that way. So I think that's where that interesting evolution has come. And we need to embrace that a little bit more rather than, again, a lot of our stuff, we think about YAML files, that's still now thinking about everything as a document. and. That's a piece along the way, but it doesn't, it's not how you, uh, reason about the overall infrastructure.
0: It's a very good, uh, very good point. And even inside mm, our own uh, community. So I did the, a workshop, uh, last week at uh, London, uh, DevOps UK, if you're watching this, I don't know when you're watching the DevOps <laughs> London happened in, uh, end of October and we having this conversation, one of my, uh, my co-speaker, he presented Kubernetes as uh, from perspective of like a, some sort of content management system. And he was talking about, okay, so imagine that you upload this document to this system and this document uh, will be materialized in some piece of infrastructure. That's a very interesting point because I, when I explain this, I like to approach this from perspective of API and saying this document essentially would be translated to API call. Um, we take this like YAML file, it will be translated to JSON. And after that, it will be submitted to Kubernetes API. I absolutely agree with you in terms of, it's just like the way, how you're thinking about the, the what's what's your mindset? Like when, what's your mental model that you used to uh, when you, you know, do certain things. Like you have to be describing infrastructure um, and uh, how you would describe infrastructure from perspective of state. That's how the Kubernetes teaches to do things, right? So we are describing desired state, and after that, Kubernetes will make things happen. Versus two things how we have with the playbooks, where we actually describing a steps that the tool needs to take to take us somewhere. And in one case, it's a it's all about journey. In other one, it's all about result, or like another way around, right? Where you would recommend people to look if they want to see some more complex examples?
1: Um, one of the places for that is if you go to plumi.com slash registry, that's our registry of all of the different providers and then in, in all of the packages. So if you went to the Kubernetes one, you would see there's a set of how-to guides, various things about, hey, how do you get either as a, just as simple as a hello world on maybe AKS on Azure Kubernetes service, or how do I do a stateless app deployment? How do I deploy with Helm? There's a lot of examples for that. So really Pulumi.com slash registry is probably a great place to look at that stuff. Um also if you just go to um the uh it's like palumicom slash doc slash get started. That'll walk you through a lot of those things. I also, if you are uh, you know, uh we have some uh weekly live streams we've started to do. In fact, I'm about to go do one right after you and I are done. So if you nice. go to you know twitch.twitch.tv palumi. Uh, we do them every Thursday and we go into a lot of these different kinds of examples and things. So, you know, and you can always find me at Matt Stratton on Twitter. Happy to to help people out.
0: That's awesome, Matt. Um, and uh, definitely check out the show notes uh, in the description below. You'll find all these links. You can find all, all the context from Matt and Palumi. And I would like to say huge thanks, Matt, to find the time to st- talking to us and being a part of Concast with this. I'm Victor Gamov, and as always, have a nice day. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite application so you don't miss a new episode. Don't forget to drop us a comment if you have any questions for today's guests or if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover in the future. For more content from today's guest, you can join us on YouTube to see demo segment from this episode of Concast.